All right. Now, uh, I know the personnel committee didn't have this um, information last week, but true story, I saw Bailey Friday night steal two purses from two different women. <laughs> now, to be, uh, to be completely fair, I was at a play, and it was thoroughly modern Millie being, being put on by William Carey, but I saw him mug those ladies and take their purses, and I thought y'all ought to know, keep your purses close when this man's around. Also, I had uh, a member of our church that will remain nameless say, it's going to be so cool to have a young, good-looking song leader. <laughs> oh, man. Y'all, y'all keep me humble. I'll tell you what. <laughs> so anyway, on that note, let's get to the preaching. All right. 1 Corinthians 2 is what we're going to talk about today. Paul says, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written... What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Pray with me if you would. Lord, we, uh, we see from this passage that we who are, uh, are reconciled to you, we who are saved, we who are disciples of Christ, have been given the mind of Christ. Lord, uh, I wish it were completely cut and dry so that Paul wouldn't have to say, like he said last week, you guys need to, to unify, you need to work on your unity, you need to quit being uh, separated over who your favorite preacher is. Lord, if, if the mind of Christ were, were fully and completely and without reservation and we could get rid of our sin nature, then Lord, we'd all be on the same page. But we know, Lord, that that sanctification process is a is a process. It's a thing that takes uh, time and takes effort on, on our part. And so, Lord, we pray that we would see today how to more and more have the mind of Christ and then use that 
so that we could have unity and so that we could march forward in our progress of the kingdom. Lord, we love you and pray that we'll hear from you today because, Lord, that is what we need. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, I want to talk to you today about the message of the gospel. You know, I've been asking you for for weeks now to consider regularly sharing your faith with other people. Today we're going to learn more about what the message of the gospel is. And I hope and pray that we learn about God's plan, God's eternal plan, and how we fit into it. And then we are more and more energized to become part of what we see is is God's eternal plan. Every Christian should be filled with purpose. You know, sometimes I hear people that say, uh, well, so-and-so retired, and after they retired... Uh, they just died shortly after because they didn't, they didn't have a reason to get up anymore. They didn't have a purpose. Well, that should never be the case for a Christian. We have, uh, we have been enlisted into this eternal, awesome plan of God. And so we must have a purpose and a reason to get up in the morning and a reason to work toward what the kingdom of God tells us we need to be after. We don't retire, guys. If you're in Christian ministry, you don't retire. You just eventually get moved up to the home office, right? (laughs) So we work until we're not here to work anymore. So the message of the gospel, praise God, is effective by divine power. Verse 1 says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. There are people who can preach the gospel better than I can, but there is nobody who can preach a better gospel than I can. We have been given the message of hope and the message of life for the world. You know, Paul was not dependent on his truly magnificent Um, mind in order to bring converts to Christ. Paul was brilliant, more brilliant than I could ever be. And yet, he didn't depend on that genius. He depended on the power of God. He also was not dependent on lofty speech or wisdom. So he wasn't a guy who came in and just used this professional rhetoric Uh, orators followed certain well-established conventions when they came into a city like Corinth. What they would do is they would come in and give these big flowery speeches in praise of the city and of their own personal achievements. And this kind of resume would get them jobs teaching the wealthy. So when a guy came in who made his living by talking, he would come in and give a wonderful flowery speech and the rich people would go, man, I need that guy to train my children how to speak like that. And Paul came in with a message, but he said, I'm, not, I'm going to reject all those schemes of getting people's attention by philosophy and by oratory skills. And what I'm going to do is come in and preach Christ and Him crucified. Christ crucified is the heart of the gospel. Jesus in my place. That is what the gospel is. Now, people have to know why, cruci- why Christ was crucified. Uh, you know, you can't just tell them Christ died for your sins because then they might go, what sins? I'm a pretty decent fella, and why did he die, and what's that have to do with me? So that's not the entire message of the gospel, but it is the heart of the gospel. 
You know, the sinless life of Christ and Him dying in my place, that is good news that people have to hear. And then we have to tell them that we can place our faith in Him and by doing so, we can exchange our unrighteousness for His righteousness. That is the gospel. It's not too complicated for any of us to share. How do we know that Jesus was who He said He was? And, and not just some guy who had delusions of grandeur. I mean, that's a question that some people ask. They say, I think Jesus was a good guy. I think he was a good teacher. I think he was a moral teacher, um, maybe even a prophet. But, you see, if you look at it carefully, that's an impossible conclusion to come to. Because either he was a liar who was out to scheme and deceive people, or... He was a lunatic and he was crazy and he had delusions of grandeur or he was the Lord who he claimed to be. And there are proofs in the scripture that that verify that he certainly was the Lord. One thing was his miracles. You know, he did amazing things. And the miracles that he did attested to that the fact that he was from God and attested to his lordship. Second, his wisdom and authority. You know, when Jesus taught uh, people would say, the scribes and Pharisees don't teach like this guy does. This guy teaches with authority. He was a different kind of teacher. And that also gives credence to the fact that he was who he said he was. But the ultimate proof, by far the big proof, is his resurrection from the dead. Look with me in Acts seventeen thirty one. It says, because he, and that's God the Father, because God the Father has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So we're told that God gave assurance to us that Jesus was who he said he was because of the resurrection of the dead. If Jesus had claimed lots of things and died and been buried and was still there today, we could, we could decipher that he wasn't telling the truth about who he was. We could see that the Old Testament scripture did not point to him. But as it is, the resurrection validated everything that he claimed to be. So what is the gospel? It is this. Jesus was the son of God. He lived a perfect sinless life. He died in my place and yours if you place your faith in him. God raised him from the dead to prove beyond a doubt that all that Jesus said was indeed true. So let's look back at 1 Corinthians 1, I mean 2, verse 3. Paul says, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Now that's weird coming from the apostle Paul, isn't it? I mean, Paul says he was there in weakness and fear and trembling. Paul needed to suck it up and get a backbone, didn't he? (laughs) No, 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 no. Paul was more brave than I will ever be. Uh, What he was saying is he was not scared of man, at all scared of man. He was in awe, though, of the magnitude of the task that was before him. You know, he was keenly aware of the fact that he was utterly dependent on the Spirit and the power of God rather than the power of Paul. Paul had been gifted. And so if there was ever anyone tempted to say, look, I am smart enough that I can win an argument. I can argue somebody down and tell them they need to believe in Jesus. It would have been Paul. Paul was an amazing intellect, but he didn't depend on that. What made him truly great was 
He said, that's nothing. What is everything is the power of the Spirit of God. Verse 4, he says, And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, we found out last week that these Corinthians were, were quick to find a favorite preacher and, and jump on that bandwagon, and that was causing division in their church, right? And Paul said, look, I'm not the hero here. I don't want you to have your faith in the wisdom of men, in the wisdom of Paul. I want you to have your faith in the power of God. Paul wanted them to see Christ in his preaching, not Paul. Not Apollos, not Peter. He said, I want you to see Christ. Now guys, if you're ever blessed by the preaching here, and I hope that you are, when I have done a good job, it's when you see Christ more clearly. Now whether it's me or, or Brother Don or anybody else that preaches here, we don't want you to see us, we want you to see Christ more clearly. And if we accomplish that, then we've done our job in preaching. Now, I know very well that some preachers are better than other preachers. I listen to the best preachers in the world on a regular basis to feed me. Uh, but the best ones help you to see Christ more clearly, not impress you with how, how skilled they are. So the message of the gospel is effective by divine power. And that is such good news. Because there are some people that are just smarter than I am. <laughs> there are some people that are smarter than you are. There are some people that are more gifted at speaking. There are some people that are more charismatic in their, in their uh, delivery of truth, right? But thank God that is not what we depend on. Instead, each of us is capable of taking the message of the gospel effectively to other people because we don't rest in our ability. We rest in the divine power that comes through the gospel. The message of the gospel is also part of God's eternal plan. Look with me in verses 6 through 9. Paul writes, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So listen, the redemption of man was not plan B. God didn't meet with the, with the Trinity and emergency council after Adam and Eve sinned and said, oh man, what are we going to do? God knew from before creation exactly what was going to happen. Uh, let me ask you a question. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? He doesn't think of things. He doesn't see new problems, okay? He knows everything. He's always known everything. And so when Adam and Eve sinned, he didn't wring his hands and go, oh man, what are we going to do? This was part of God's eternal plan. He knew what he was doing when he made man. Now you might wonder, well, if God knew that man was going to rebel, why exactly did he make man? Uh, the answer to that is that God is in the business of glorifying himself. Now I know that sounds weird. 
because when you're in the business of glorifying you, that's not a good thing. Uh, but the reason is simple. The, great, the only one that deserves praise and glory and adoration is God. And so if you work to draw praise and glory and adoration to God, then you're on the right track. And it's the right thing for him to do as well because he's the one worthy of it. Now, if, uh, if you're like most people, you occasionally work to draw glory to yourself, and that is not good, but it's not because any individual trying to gain glory is necessarily bad if that individual is God. It is that God is the one deserving of glory, so it needs to be our aim and his aim rightly to direct all glory toward him. And so that's why God did what he did. Now, I tell you this because I read it in Romans 9. So if you want to flip over there with me, Romans 9, verses 22 through 24 explain this concept to us. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Even us who he called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. You see, God did not cause man to rebel, but he has used man's rebellion to glorify himself in displaying both his righteous judgment and his amazing grace. You see, if we had not rebelled, we wouldn't know the part of God's glory that is His justice. We wouldn't see Him rightly handle rebellion and rightly punish evil. We just wouldn't, wouldn't know about that part of Him. And if He had not extended to us grace, then that part of His glory would not be known because we wouldn't know how forgiving and loving and generous and wonderful He is. So this plan has been in place from eternity past. And it directly involves you in, in at least two ways. And let me tell you what those two ways are. One is it involves you, hopefully, in your salvation. Second Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Do you hear what that says? It says that God is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So part of your plan, part of your part in this eternal plan of God is that you be reconciled to Him, is your salvation. 1 Timothy 2, 3 and 4 says, This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So again, the Bible clearly says that God desires for all people to be saved. God wants you to be saved. But if you will not, you will still glorify God as He renders His punishment on the guilty. So some people, that the last thing in the world they would ever want to do is glorify God because to be clear and to be <laughs> frank about it, they hate Him. They're going to glorify Him anyway. <laughs> against their will. So God is going to be glorified by the lives and the destinies of every human person. So the first thing that God wants to do to involve you in this plan is that you be reconciled to Him. 
The second thing is, actually both these things are, are in this verse that I'm about to read you. Let's look in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20. It says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. All right, so that's part one, right? He wants you to be reconciled to him. Part two is this, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So God wants you to play two parts in this eternal working of his. He wants you to be reconciled, and then he wants you to be the agent of reconciliation for other people. Verses 19, verse 19 says, That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Now, who is us? He is writing here in 2 Corinthians to the same church that we're reading about in 1 Corinthians. So, I've heard some people say, well, this is a ministry uh, for the apostles. Well, no, he's writing to the church, right? And he says, we who have been reconciled are to be about reconciling everybody else. Verse 20 says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled. Now, that is amazing, folks. Next time you share the gospel with somebody, it's not overstepping your bounds to say that God is making his appeal to that person through you. That is an amazing opportunity. It's a a responsibility, but it's an incredible opportunity for us to get together with God in this eternal plan of his and to work in concert with him. So do you see that I'm I'm not making this stuff up (laughs) when I said that we have two roles to play in this eternal plan of God? We see both of them laid out here. It's in black and white or, or white on blue or whatever that color is. And we see that God wants us to participate in what he is doing. So do you see what I said earlier about living with purpose? We have absolutely no reason not to live with tremendous purpose. We are called to be reconciled, and I would imagine most of us are, and that's fabulous. But that's not it. We're not done then. See, that's the thing that we've, we've messed up in a lot of our American churches. The goal, the end goal has been... You be reconciled to God, period. Well, that's not the end. You be reconciled to God, and then God says, He has entrusted to us the ministry of reconciliation. So do you know who in this room has been called into ministry? I have. Brother Don has. Who else has? You, everybody. Yes, if we could believe that. If we could believe that, folks. It would change everything about how we do church. The next point is, the message of the gospel is taught by the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 14 says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. 
The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Now God, the Holy Spirit, teaches us the things of God through the Word of God, and we are given the mind of Christ through the indwelling Holy Spirit, and that's why we are able to understand the spiritual things. Why do you and I spend our time here on Sunday morning when we could be getting ready for football? We do it because we understand something that the rest of the folks who are at home this morning don't understand. We see the preciousness of the gospel. You know, when Jesus gives these parables about the, uh, the pearl of great price, for example, he says that once that guy discovers that pearl, he sells, he gladly sells everything he owns in order to purchase that pearl of great price. And the same exact kind of thing is going on in the parallel uh, passage there of, uh, of the great treasure that is hidden in the ground. Jesus says that a guy finds a field and he finds treasure buried in that field and he goes away and sells with joy all that he has in order to purchase that field. You see, that field is precious to that guy because he has been awakened by the Spirit of God. And he has been shown what is precious. Because that is the gospel. The gospel is precious to me. It is precious to you because we see the value of it. Because we've been given eyes to see that. So why do other folks not see it? Well, it's not because we're smarter than they are. Okay? I can appreciate music in a way that a deaf person cannot appreciate music. <laughs> you understand? I can appreciate music. It moves me because I have the ability to understand it and to receive it. But you know what else is, is true? I can appreciate music more than a lot of other people who can hear. Now, why is that? It's because I've been trained in music. And so I have a greater appreciation for it. And so when we who are alive in Christ, who have been reconciled to God... We see the preciousness of the scriptures and we see the, the value of the gospel. But you know what? The more you train yourself in it, the more you'll be able to appreciate it. Like I, when I hear music, I may be able to appreciate it more than somebody who's not trained in music because I have that familiarity with it. We, as believers, can train ourselves in the Word of God and we can get an ever-increasing appreciation for it and we can see new facets of the beauty of it because we spend our time in the Word of God. So if you're a Christian, you're like that hearing person. You have that, that receptor and you can understand and appreciate the Word of God. But the more you study the Scripture, the more beautiful it will become to you. In verse 15, we see that Paul writes, The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So let me ask you, is this saying that the spiritual person never does anything wrong and, and never has to be judged? Well, certainly not. We can see from both, both, both uh, letters to the Corinthians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians that we have, that Paul is, is correcting them on a host of things throughout both of these letters. And so it's not that we never do anything wrong and never need to be judged um, 
how do we know? One way we know is 1 Corinthians 5, 12. Look over there with me. And I don't want to steal my own thunder for when we get to chapter 5, but let's see what it says here because I don't think, I don't think many people think this is in the, in the Word of God. <laughs> um, everybody knows that the Bible says, judge not lest you be judged. But I'm pretty sure no, most of our people have not read this verse. It says, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Paul is saying, I don't have anything to do with judging outsiders. Because you know what? Lost people are going to act like lost people. And that shouldn't surprise us, okay? Then he says, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? So again, that may be a news flash for, uh, for some people because they don't think that's in there. Um, and that doesn't mean in some harsh and condemning way. It simply means that we are supposed to try to maintain purity in the church. If I start doing something that I shouldn't be doing, I need a brother or a sister to come to me and say, man, you are heading the wrong way. Because sin makes you stupid. I don't know if you all know that, but I, I have experience. Sin makes me stupid. Sometimes when I am pursuing some sin, I don't have enough sense to get my head up and see that what I'm doing is wrong and I'm heading the wrong way. I need a brother or a sister to say, hey man, I'm concerned about you and here's why. And then somebody who is called to repentance, if they're a true believer, will say, man, you're right. Thank you for, thank you for warning me. Thank you for helping me. I'll get back on track. I remember a conversation I had when I was uh, newly, well, we got married in college, so I'd been married a little while. But we were newly out in the working world, and uh, a friend of mine was riding in the car with me. And I was complaining about financial woes, and I was complaining about my job, and I was complaining about, I don't know, everything else I could think of. And he let me go on for 15 minutes, and then he said, man, you know, I've sat here for 15 minutes listening to you whine about the place that God has put you for right now. Uh, we were really close friends, or I'd have punched him, right? But we were really close friends. And so what that did was stop me in my tracks and make me go, oh, what a fool I am, and made me realize the sin that was in my life by complaining against my sovereign God. So it's not that we want to judge people and condemn them. It's just that if they start going down the wrong road, we need to stop them and help them and help them realize what's going on. So Paul, uh, you know, he had to confront Peter over some hypocrisy on the part of that great apostle Peter. Uh, so we know that verses don't mean that spiritual people are never mistaken and should never be answerable to anyone. We know that's not what it means. So what it is saying is that we who have the mind of Christ are in the best position to know what is right and what is wrong. Guys, we have people today who, with a straight face, can look into a camera and say it is immoral to build a wall on our southern border and then stand and give an ovation to a governor who signs a bill that says it's okay to murder a baby a second before you pull it out of the mother. If that seems depraved and insane to you, <laughs> it's because we have the mind of Christ. And it seems right to them because they do not have the mind of Christ. So what do we do? What do we do? We learn about this stuff and we see that, that God has, uh, has given us a message that is empowered by Him and not by us. Thank God for that. I'm so glad for that, guys. I used to have a little different, under, well, an immature understanding of what witnessing was about. 
And I thought that a lot of it had to do with my presentation. I said, man, I've got to get this down. I've got to get to where I can witness really well because somebody's eternal destiny depends on, on how I do this. That's not true. I'm just not that important, and neither are you. Uh, the power of the gospel is in the power of God, not us, and that is such good news. So what do we do with this truth? We proclaim Christ and Him crucified. Again, guys, we don't have to worry about are we well enough prepared? Are we equipped? Do we, uh, do we talk smoothly enough? Do we, do we always use the right word? Can we always think of the right word? We don't have to worry about that. We proclaim Christ and Him crucified. Now, I'm not saying we don't prepare ourselves. Of course we do. Um, I prepare myself when I'm going to get up and preach, right? I study the scriptures. I think about an orderly way to present it. And then I come and tell you what the Lord has taught shown me but it's not that we don't try to get our thoughts straight and try to present things in an orderly manner we do but thank god we don't have to depend on our eloquence it is the power of the gospel itself the next thing is we realize humbly that we know the truth because we have ears to hear it like i said a few minutes ago sometimes it surprises us when lost people act like lost people and it really shouldn't do that um, they're, they're dead. They're going to act like dead people. Um, I've been around some people who had a good, uh, in my opinion, a very accurate uh, understanding of theology. And I've been around these people who have been proud of their accurate understanding of theology. And uh, that's, that's kind of a perverse thing, right? Because if you realize that God has given you every bit of knowledge that you have, if you realize that the only reason that you are saved and your neighbor is not is because of God's kindness to you, if you really understand that, then being proud of what God did, I mean, you can be proud of God for that, but be proud of yourself for what God has done for you is, is weird and messed up, right? So when we witness to people, when we uh, are around people who don't think like we do, we need to be gracious to them and humble enough to realize that we know the truth because God intervened in our life and gave us the truth. That way we can have a genuine kindness and a genuine love for people that we don't agree with. Um, if, you, if you come and tell me why abortion should be legal and why abortion should be available to somebody until a second before their baby's born, uh, it's going to raise my hackles, right? But what I need to do is be kind and speak truth. And so we don't need to call each other names. We don't need to rant. We need to be kind so that when we approach folks that, that don't have the mind of Christ, we can realize that we do, but it's not through our, our goodness. It's through God's graciousness that we do. And then we can approach them and tell them the truth, but tell them the truth in love instead of in an aggressive kind of way. The last thing is to pray for and work for revival. Uh, guys, there's no... And I know you know this. There's no political party that's going to fix our problems. There's no politician that's going to fix our problems. The heart of people have to change. And the only way that the heart of people are going to change is if they hear the gospel. And so if we pray and pray and pray for revival, then we're doing the right thing. But we're only doing half the right thing because we have to work for revival as well. And that work, again is us telling the gospel to other people. 
I had a friend in high school who uh, told me, well, I don't, really, I don't really witness as far as giving the gospel to people verbally because I witness with my lifestyle. And uh, when I was younger, I was probably less uh, worried about, you know, the wisdom of what I said. So what I said to my friend was, that's awesome. So people come up to you and say, you are so cool that I've just got to know this God that you serve, right? Does that happen to you? He's like, well, no. And I said, okay, good, because it doesn't happen to me either. So let's go tell him instead. And uh, that wasn't a very kind and gentle way to get my point across. But it's, it's right, you know. People aren't going to come up to you and say, man, I'm so impressed with your uh, temperance and your wonderful attitude that I think you must tell me about Christ. It's, it's not going to happen. So what we have to do is we have to build a reputation and a lifestyle that enhances when we do speak, but then we actually have to speak to them with words. Let me remind you real quick what the gospel is. Uh, If there are anybody in here who is not saved, let me tell you, I was thinking this morning, and uh, I think God brought to mind this question. I used to hear from people sometimes, they would say, well, if I understand this right, then when I get saved, I can do whatever I want to do because once you're saved, you stay saved. And so if I get saved, then I can sin and, and there's no consequence to me, right? Well, if you're asking that from, <laughs> from the point of view where you're saying, man, even though I don't want to, even though I hate sin, I still sin and I, it's frustrating me and I wish I didn't. If you're asking from that point of view, then that's one thing. But if you're saying, hey, if I say this prayer and do this thing and maybe get dunked in some water, I can then live however I want to, right? That's a good deal. I think I'll take that. Well, that would just prove beyond a shadow of doubt that you do not possess the mind of Christ that Paul is writing about here. And so if, if you're one of those folks that have said, hey, I've made a commitment, and after making that commitment, I'm good to go, um, you know, the preacher has said, once you get saved, you're always saved. And he told me the way to get saved was come up to the front, pray a prayer, get dunked in the water maybe. So if, if you've had that misunderstanding of the gospel, let me ask you to listen to what I have to say here. Here's the gospel. We rebelled against God. We lived in sin. Um, we were, our forefathers sinned. They gave us that propensity to sin. But then we ratified their decision to sin every time that we've sinned. So, um, if you were taking a test, and there were ten questions on that test, and they were those ten commandments, you would have gotten enough of them wrong to fail, right? And then if you didn't get all of them wrong, guess what? The Bible says if you break the law in one command, you've broken it in all. So, if we had a ten-question test, we've all made a zero. Now, what the gospel is, is when God judges you, He is willing to take Jesus' answer sheet instead of yours. That's the gospel. Jesus in my place. So if you've never done that, if you've never accepted Christ, if you've never given your heart to Him wholeheartedly, do it today before you leave. And if you have, then realize with me how easy it is to give this message of hope to somebody else. Pray about it. And then if you say, okay, I believe maybe it's easy and maybe I'll do that, but I want to be better equipped, then we'll do that too. We'll equip you better too. Be thinking, be thinking and be praying about how you can be involved. We heard today that there is this eternal plan of God from before the foundation of the world that included you in it. First, your salvation, and second, your going about the business of reconciling 
entrusting the ministry of reconciliation to you. So pray that God will give you a desire to do that so that when we're equipped to equip you, which will be soon, you'll say, hey, I'm ready to go. Let's do this thing. I don't care if you're 95 or 17. You can be useful until the day that God calls you home. Amen.